Biff and Mabel have pockets of silence between them. They don't talk like they used to. There are things Biff is thinking, but he does not discuss those things with Mabel. And as you might imagine, there are things that Mabel is thinking, but she does not bring them up to Biff any longer. Well, they have been married for a while, and this happens with so many couples. After a while, they just grow silent, and, well, the reason for that is because something has come between them. I want to talk about that in today's podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I am so glad that you are here. The title of this podcast and the article on the website is Four Absolute Must If You Want to Get Along. Now, you can read this podcast, and so I recommend that you do that. If you have the time to do so, go to our website, rickthomas.net. If you don't want to read it on your mobile phone, which is small, and I totally understand that, you can print it off. You can copy and paste it into a document. There is a print feature at the bottom of every article, and so you can print it off and read it in a more convenient space, but you're welcome to do that. You're also welcome to share it. I want to get into the podcast in just a few moments for absolute must if you want to get along. But I received this note from my uh, my friend in Australia, and I want to share it with you because it was so good and it was so encouraging. She said, quote, your latest podcast and article on idol swapping was just fabulous. You can read that if you want to. It's called idol swapping. It's I think it was pretty good myself. She said, I think it speaks to everyone, and we, the ladies, will definitely be listening to this the next time we meet. I have been listening to you long enough to understand that the names and genders are interchangeable entirely. Now, that is an important statement. She gets it. Sometimes somebody will send me an email or put something on social media and say, well, it applies to a man too, or something like that. It's like, well... Of course it does. Don't you have enough sense to change the genders? My friend in Australia does. Just change the genders if you want to, and it's it's just fine. As I've said before, I can't say he, she, her, him throughout an article. That's too clunky, and, well, it really doesn't follow sound guidelines for writing. So anyway, she says, I've been listening to you long enough to understand that the names and genders are interchangeable. But in this instance, as a woman, a Mabel, what wouldn't I give to hear this same podcast with uh, Mabel in the hot seat instead of Biff? The impact would be even greater, I think. Regardless, it was excellent. Excellent. I'm a huge fan of Biff and Mabel, and I was thinking if you ever looking for a career change, I'd love to see a DVD series based on these two fascinating, flawed people. Your podcast come to life for teaching purposes, both educational and motivational, not to mention awkwardly entertaining, compelling viewing. She went on to say, I really do appreciate how long and hard you work, Rick, and I know that almost all of your articles and podcasts apply to everyone because regardless of age or stage, situation or status, gender or geography, we are all fallen and struggle with the same core problems. I'm so grateful for the life-changing impact your ministry makes, Rick, and for the amazing insights into God's Word and our purpose in light of that. Finally, she says, so many thanks to you, your wife and family, and your team. Go team for this excellent ministry. May God 
bless you richly in the years to come. And may we be blessed with the adventures of Biff and Mabel on the road to sanctification sometime soon. That was my friend from Australia, and it was a wonderful, it was an encouraging and lighthearted in some ways, but I like her writing style, lighthearted and serious. Uh, but it was an encouragement, and I wanted to share that with you. And I do want to appeal to you that if you can support our ministry, do that. You will be impacting lives in Australia, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Go to our website and help us underwrite this ministry. Well, let's get back to the adventures of Biff and Mabel. Here are four absolute must if you want to get along. Though Biff and Mabel love each other, something is missing in their relationship. There are some things they won't discuss. They've only been married for five years, but if they do not resolve these pockets of silence, there will be more than pockets in the years to come. Any worst-case scenario, they will find other contexts to share their more in-depth and vulnerable thoughts. Rarely do people suppress things that are important to them. They crave someone for these conversations. If a couple is not willing to remove the barriers that hinder their relationship, the temptation to go deep with somebody will find other outlets to satisfy their desires. Let's start with the men. Now, talk about the ladies in a moment, but where do men find love in a situation where their relationship has pockets of silence that have come between them? Well, for the man, it could be his job or a hobby. Men easily find their identity in what they do. If there is tension in the marriage, it will be easy for them to mentally check out of the relationship and find fulfillment elsewhere, especially in his vocation. The 40-hour work week becomes a 60-plus-hour love affair. As he climbs the corporate ladder, he can build a kingdom and an image to suit his insatiable cravings for communal longings and acceptance and appreciation. His wife does not have to like him in a case like this because his work becomes his new best friend, his false lover. Another another typical scenario for a man to find fulfilling reciprocation in his life is obviously with the opposite sex. So-called innocent relationships at work can be the beginning of a full-blown adulterous affair. Though a man may not talk to his wife, he will more than likely be talking to somebody or immersing himself in something that is satisfying to him. And though he knows it's foolishness and someone will find out about his sin, his desire for affection and acceptance and approval will drive him into the arms of another woman. The fires of lust will take a man over the cliffs of insanity. Now, if he's more cautious or maybe he's introverted, maybe he's a bit shy, he will find his affection on the Internet. Where the cyber ladies are ready to entertain him, in his mind, if only in his mind, in this fantasy, in this theater of the mind, for him it's a risk-free, nobody has to know, and he feels somewhat justified because his wife's a nag. Those are a couple of places where men find love. What about the ladies? 
Where do women find love? Women are different than men. No matter what they tell you in our culture today, I got a newsflash breaking. Men and women are different. Now, they're different in ways, but they still have these desires, these yearnings. The desire for affection and appreciation is a deep yearning. If her husband ignores her, she will find people, places, or things to feel her longings. Many Christian women find their Bible study mates as their replacement for relational deficiencies. That's odd, and sometimes it's hard to perceive because it's spiritual. We're getting together and talking about Jesus. In such cases, her Bible study becomes her surrogate husband. Her female church friends meet the spiritual longing she craves from her man. Another common trap for the woman, for the young mother, particularly, is her children. She can feel a greater bonding with her children than with her one flesh union. In such cases, the spiritual reality of her one fleshness is more disappointment, more disappointing than the emotional attachment she feels with her children. If the man is a spiritual dud, she will quickly gravitate to the children. This is a natural attraction, and it's strong. She can easily preoccupy herself with her kids for the next 20 years. Then there is always the possibility of adultery. Women are not uniquely insulated from sinful romance. The nonsense of the mommy porn book, Fifty Shades of Grey, is an example of emotionally loose women looking for sensual adventures of the mind. Where does all this begin? Where did it all all began with Biff and Mabel? Biff and Mabel do not want their marriage to go to some of the places that I have described, but they're on the fast track to relational dysfunction. They can't see it now, but if they don't fix their problems, they will reflect on these issues 10 years from now, and they'll know how they got there. It always begins as little disagreements and miscommunication moments come into their marriage, into their relationship, and like a hairline crack in the sidewalk, nobody discerns the magnitude of the brokenness that's going to happen in the years to come. When they first met as a dating couple, they could hardly separate from each other. There was virtually no silence between them and nearly total agreement in all things. Even the things they disagreed on did not matter because they liked each other. You can overlook so much when you like each other. And I say like specifically, like better than love, because I've heard this so much in counseling where One of the spouses will say, oh, I love him. I just don't like him. And, well, I understand the nuance. I understand the shade there. And liking, liking is important. Liking is that underlying attitude of the heart that you have, that when you think about the person, you just like them. Love sometimes can become mechanical, which is what this disgruntled spouse was saying. I love him, but I don't like him, you can fake love, but liking, well, that's that's a genuine attitude of the heart that I'm speaking of. The season before the marriage and right after the marriage, the drift started. The young couple began to take each other for granted, and the subtle separation began. It was hardly discernible, and 
whatever Biff and Mabel did discern did not seem to matter because they were in love. By the time they came to me, the hairline crack had evolved into pockets of silence and eventually a gulf of hurt that seemingly nobody could heal. If only they knew what to do about it when it first materialized. If someone would have come alongside them to help them. If only they would have listened. Out of hundreds of married couples that I've counseled, there has been one absolute common denominator with all of them. And this is really what I want you to gain out of this podcast. I cannot think of a single exception with any of these couples. They all struggled similarly. This is the missing piece. You ready? Here it is in seven words. They did not know how to repent. That's it. These couples did not know how to deal with the sin that came between them. Sinfulness is like those grow animals that you put in water. Are you familiar with those little grow animals? We've tried this. We've done this with our kids, and they loved them when they were at that age. They typically come in an in, uh, dissolvable uh, capsule that drops into a bowl of water, and as the capsule dissolves, the animals, these little things inside the capsules, they unfurl, they grow. Sin is like that. And then what was so tiny, the capsule, the outer shell, melts away, dissolves, and this thing just, it's a sponge, and it just grows and gets bigger and bigger into some kind of animal. I'm talking ginormous here is what sin does. Not those animals. You can get them, and it won't take up your living room. But sin will. Sin will take up your house, your life. It will destroy you. It is ginormous. Sin won't stop growing until it chokes the life out of every relationship in the home. Think big here, I'm talking about. And if you don't take immediate, swift, and decisive action against sin, it will spiritually kill you and your relationships. And that is exactly what Jesus said Satan has come to do, to kill to steal, to divide, to destroy. That is what sin is supposed to do. That is the nature of sin. It's like the poison in that it's designed to kill its victim and you and I. We are the victims. Of course, this is why we have a gospel. Don't despair. The gospel is the miracle serum that counteracts and destroys sin But this is the problem. Too many Christians either do not know how to apply the gospel to their sin, or they choose not to use the gospel. It's like you have the serum. It's like you get the serum as salvation. When you are born a second time, God gives you the serum that counteracts sin. The specific aspect of the gospel that I'm talking about is the doctrine of repentance. It's those seven words that I mentioned earlier, the secret. They did not know how to repent, and that is what happened to Biff and Mabel. Now, within this doctrine of repentance, 
I don't want to talk about the whole doctrine in this podcast. In fact, if you want to read about the entire doctrine of repentance, the sequential steps of repentance, I have that article here embedded in this article. But I want to talk specifically about four core elements of repentance. And this is why I titled this podcast, Four Absolute Must if you want to get along. And so I want to talk about four aspects of repentance, not the whole ball of wax. Those four aspects are confession. Here, This is a sequence here, a logical order. Confession, one. Forgiveness, two. Reconciliation, three. And restoration, number four. Though there are several elements to repentance, all of them are important. I want to focus on these four Absolute must, number one, confession. An essential element of repentance is the confession aspect. The word confession means to agree. The person who sins agrees with God about his sin. He and God are on the same page. Complete agreement about the sinful action. There is no doubt in God's mind what you did is wrong. There is no doubt in your mind that what you did was wrong. You both agree, that's the confession, that there was a transgression. You and God are on the same page. This idea is no different than any other person with whom you sin. For a confession to be true, for a confession to be real, there must be an agreement. When I sin against Lucia, my wife, and confess that sin to God and to her, it's essential we both are on the same page. This perspective means my confession cannot under any circumstances be perfunctory. It can't be this, I'm sorry. A mature confession must have clarity, an agreement. Lucia needs to know that I know what I did. I need to discern if she agrees with my assessment of my sin. If she doesn't agree, we must work until we agree. That's why it's, 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 it's wrong in this context to say, I'm sorry because you haven't worked on the agreement. You don't know what she thinks. You want it to be a true confession. You cannot gloss over this point. If you're not in agreement, confession, this will be the beginning of pockets of silence in your relationship. Perhaps you have done that. Where somebody sinned against you or you sinned against someone and, and the confession was haphazard or non-existent and you glossed over it with I'm sorry or whatever. And then you go away and you know that it, is still there. You're not in agreement. You're not on the same page. You could go away. You could go away thinking you confessed, and your spouse could go away wishing you were more explicit about your confession. To agree is to be one. The confession must be a mutually agreed upon acknowledgement and understanding of what just happened. Read my lips here, or in this case, listen to what I am saying right here. If you do not confess properly, the residue of the sin will remain in your relationship. You will have an opinion about the matter. She will have a view of the issue, and you both will not agree. Confession is critical. Number two, forgiveness. If you both agree on what happened, there's been confession, you can move to this next step. The offended 
can grant, uh, the offended person can grant forgiveness. As noted, confession can be a Christianized, I did my duty ritual. Don't do that. If confession is that way, well, guess what? Forgiveness will be the same way. You cannot go through the motions of these points. Sin is real. Sin is not a mirage. It's not a motion that you are going through. It is a transgression that will kill your relationship. You must dig down and get dirty until the offense is rooted out. Too many Christians do the, quote, forgiveness thing while harboring the hurt, the miscommunication, the frustration of what happened. This non-Christian forgiveness is, is how a person becomes bitter and how sin kills a relationship. A sin that is unconfessed and unforgiven does not submit itself to the power of the gospel. And from there, bitterness sets in and spiritual rigor mortis is not far away. Point number two is forgiveness. Forgiveness should be transactional, like the confession. You are making a transaction. You're making an exchange. The penitent is guilty and looking to receive something from the person with whom they sinned. He's looking to receive forgiveness, and that is the transaction. The title of the podcast, Four Absolute Must, if you want to get along must number one, in this order, confession. Number two, this is a must, forgiveness. Point number three, reconciliation. If you do confession and forgiveness correctly, guess what? You will neutralize the sin. If you neutralize the transgression, it will have no power over you, and it will have no power over the offended. It will be dead repentance kills sin, but repentance misapplied will leave the effects of sin between you and the victim. As you can see, humble communication is vital here. A misunderstanding, a a misapplication of repentance is the number one reason couples break up. They do not understand how to repent, and they do not know how to apply the doctrine of repentance to their marriages practically. It's a lack of knowledge and a lack of application. Biff and Mabel cannot come entirely together into a one-flesh union because sin divides them. Sin divides them because they have not done the job right of removing the sin. The Bible calls the right job repentance. Or in this case, in the case of Bill and Mabel, it's the lack of repentance. The accumulative effect of unresolved sin issues will continue to divide them until the final division happens in their future, which is called divorce. They don't believe this will happen to them. They are in love. They are also naive. You cannot keep sweeping sin under the rug. It will destroy your home. I could introduce you to scores of former couples who used to think just like Bill and Mabel. Sin does not discriminate. 
And if you choose to give it an inch, it will take your relationships to irreparable places. Point number three is reconciliation. But if they choose to use this gospel-provided weapon of repentance, they can neutralize the sin that has come between them and move on to the dynamics of point number four. Now they have reconciled. It's like they come together in a hug, and there is absolutely nothing between them. They are reconciled. And if that happens, they can move to point number four, which is restoration. The four absolute must that you must have in your relationships if you want to get along, number one, confession, number two, forgiveness, number three, reconciliation, and number four, restoration. Now that they have neutralized the sin and removed it, they can begin working toward maturing the relationship. Before, the offense was a hindrance that interrupted and diverted them from working on their one fleshness. Now they have successfully removed the sin, confession, and forgiveness, and they can come together with nothing in between them, and thus the sin, the transgression, is not a problem any longer. The transgression in this case, listen to this, it becomes a talking point, a discussion point in their relationship, which is one of the most valuable roles that Lucia plays in my life. She helps to mature me, to restore me. We're talking about restoration. It's not just putting off and putting on, but there is a full restoration that can happen here, restoration to Christ and restoration to herself. Because the gospel kills my sin sufficiently, she's not tempted to use it against me. Remember, it's been neutralized. Not only neutralized for me, but neutralized for her if the forgiveness was truly biblical. God does not hold my sin over my head because the forgiveness is biblical. Well, she doesn't either. And now we can get down to the business of talking about what I did and why I did what I did and how I can keep from doing it in the future. If you truly want to be restored, you got to go to this point. You got to do more than say, I'm sorry. You got to do more than confess. You got to do more than forgive. All that does is kill it. All that does is neutralize it. But if you truly want to be a new person, you need to talk about it. Now that it's dead, you should be able to talk about it. And by the way, Lucia has a vested interest in this conversation. Why? Well, she doesn't want me to hurt her again. And so what do we do? We trot my sin out and we talk about it. It's like a dead animal lying in the road. We walk around it, we kick it, we look at it, we discuss it, and we can do that. Why? As I said, it's been neutralized. It's been killed dead by the power of the gospel. You don't have to be sheepish about talking about your sin because God has forgiven you, your spouse has forgiven you. Now, if your spouse hasn't forgiven you, that is a problem. That is a problem. And that's why you don't want to try to get away with this, quote, I'm sorry kind of mantra. Forgiveness is transactional. It takes two. When God forgave you, it was transactional. The offended Christ forgave you, and you 
uh, acted upon that and and asked for that forgiveness, and you built that relationship. There's a precedent for this. The precedent is in the gospel. And if your spouse is unwilling to forgive, there is a breakdown in her life or his life, whoever the offended person is, in the gospel. And so in this case, Lucia does not become angry talking about my sin because she believes that, one, I understand it. It was a true confession. That's why the confession part was so important. Now, maybe if your spouse has a hard time with transacting forgiveness from you, maybe you need to go back and think about your confession. Well, was it a good, thorough confession? Can she truly agree because you get what you did? But there is genuine reconciliation at that point. What I'm saying is the sin has no power over either one of us. Who is to condemn? No one. And with my sin behind us, we are free to work on a plan to keep me from doing it again. How cool is that? Sadly, too many couples do not understand or practice this fundamental teaching of our faith. And this reality This reality is ironic, and it's sad in light of the main point of the Bible. What's the main point of the Bible? Well, it's redemption. It's a redemption story. The main point of the Bible is reconciliation, and the fact that the Bible talks so much about reconciliation, but yet we can't reconcile. There's truly something wrong with us. If you want to read about this article and spend more time In it, I would highly encourage that. It's called Four Absolute Must if you want to get along. If you have benefited from this podcast, if you have benefited and been helped in some way by any of our resources, would you become a supporter of our ministry? Would you help us to keep doing what we are doing? Would you donate or become a recurring supporting member? Thank you so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.